So today I speak of a few of our tenants, starting with our tenant about Mishkan David's unwavering support for Israel. Very topical, arguably more topical than it was last year when I delivered it first. As a congregational leader, I give a lot of leeway for varying political stances. I don't care what anybody feels about immigration or gun control, many of the hot topics of the day, but some political topics are more than just political, they are biblical. And for those, our stance must align with the Bible. Congregationally, Mishkan David is unwaveringly pro-life. We are unwavering about what the Bible says about sexuality, sexual identity, and Mishkan David is unwavering in support of the nation of Israel. Here is our tenant as it reads, we believe that the formation of the modern country of Israel in 1948 was a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and as such, Jewish people have divine ownership of that land and the right to govern it as a Jewish state. Our support for Israel is unconditional. It is prophesied that all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem in the last days, and Jerusalem will be an immovable rock, and all those who lift it will be severely injured. We wish no one to be on the wrong side of that prophecy. This is the only Mishkan David tenant that comes with a warning. And that warning comes from the book of Zechariah. Mishkan David will never equivocate about this. We support Israel's right to exist right where they are as a Jewish nation. This is our congregational stance. It is not negotiable. Again, as stated in the, in the tenant, we believe that the formation of the modern country of Israel in 1948 was a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy. On May 14, 1948, the state of Israel was officially declared as an independent country. The British mandate came to an end, and in one day, Israel was a nation again. Isaiah 66, 7 and 8 says, Before she was in labor, she delivered. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in a day? Can a nation be given birth all at once? As soon as Zion was in labor, she delivered her sons. We believe that this prophecy was fulfilled on this day. And the vision that Isaiah saw, by the way, that I just read, is the same vision that John in Revelation 12 saw when he speaks about the woman giving birth. It's the same vision. This means that the formation of Israel was not just a political event. It was a prophetic event. This means that the parcel of land divinely belongs to the Jewish people. They have divine right to the land, not just sovereign right, divine right. With that comes the divine right to govern, the divine right to enact their own immigration policies, the divine right to enact their own citizenship laws, their divine right to negotiate with other nations, and the divine right to self-defense. Does it mean that we agree with every move that the Israeli government makes? No. Does it mean that we feel that Israel is a modern-day example of biblical morality? No. It means that our love and support for Israel transcends politics. Our support for Israel unwavers when there's a liberal prime minister, when there's a conservative prime minister. This is the biblical model. 
and this is God's heart. Israel, ancient Israel, had good kings, bad kings. They did things that the prophets praised. They did things that the prophets rebuked. None of that moved God's unchanging love for Israel, nor his promises to Israel. None of that changed God's immense heart for Israel as his special possession. The Jewish people being the divine owners of that land is a stance that Mishkan David will never sway on. Zechariah 2.8 says, whoever touches you, Zion, touches the pupil of his eye. You ever have your finger, a finger put in your eye? That's how God feels when you touch his land. Zechariah 12.9 says, on that day, I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. This is why we say in our tenet that we do not wish anyone to be on the wrong side of this prophecy. This is why we say that. Biblically, Christians are called to have a unique love, connection, and burden for Israel and the Jewish people. Paul speaks of this burden in Romans 9, 1-3. He said, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my countrymen, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Isn't it amazing that Paul was willing to lose his own salvation if it meant saving his countrymen? Paul also wants Gentiles believer, Gentile believers in Yeshua to recognize that Israel is their root and to honor Israel as such. He writes in Romans 11, 18, do not be arrogant towards the natural branches. But if you are arrogant, remember it's not you that support the root. The root supports you. Over Christmas time this year, so many anti-Israel activists were screaming that Jesus is Palestinian. Well, that's not what the Bible says about Jesus. The New Testament affirms that Jesus was, is, and will be an Israeli Jew. From verse 1, when Matthew calls him the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham, all the way to the very end, at the end of Revelation, we see Yeshua coming as the lion of the tribe of Rome. No. The lion of the tribe of New York City. No, the lion of the tribe of Judah. His linkage to Israel is never broken, and his identity as a Jew exists even at his second coming. Revelation 21.2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Washington, D.C. No, the new Miami. No, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The whole Bible is about Israel, folks. It really is. It will be a nation until the end of time. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37 says, This is what the Lord says. He who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea and it's, that, it, that it's, its waves roar, the Lord of armies is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then the descendants of Israel will also cease to be a nation before me forever. This means they'll be a nation forever. 
This is what the Lord says. If the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will reject the descendants of Israel for everything they've done, which means he will never reject them. That's what it means. To repeat the Mishkan David tenant of faith, number seven, you could see them all on our website. We believe that the formation of the modern country of Israel in 1948 was a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and as such, Jewish people have divine ownership of that land and the right to govern it as a Jewish state. Our support for Israel is unconditional. It is prophesied that all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem in the last days. Jerusalem will be an immovable rock, and all who lift it will be severely injured. We wish no one to be on the wrong side of this prophecy. And here's another fact of Israel, which leads to another Mishkan David tenant of faith that I'll be speaking about today. Gentiles who believe in the Jewish Messiah are not just supporters and lovers of Israel. You are Israel. Our tenant reads, we believe it was God's plan from the beginning to reconcile all nations to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through the Messiah. And we believe, another tenant, we believe that all Gentiles, people who are not physical descendants of Jacob, who trust in Yeshua, are spiritually grafted into Israel. Gentiles are bestowed all the blessings and promises given to Israel by God and are granted the privilege of following the Torah in liberty, having it written upon their hearts through the new covenant. When, the Gentile, when a Gentile accepts the Lord, there is a spiritual miracle that takes place. A Gentile through faith, through faith becomes a spiritual member of Israel. Ephesians 2, 12 to 13 says, remember that you were at that time separate from the Messiah, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. It continues on in verse 19 and 20, then, so then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. You, if you are Gentile and you believe in Jesus, you are spiritually part of Israel. Prior to Yeshua, for a Gentile to become part of Israel, you'd effectively need to convert. Numbers 15, 16 says there is to be one law and one ordinance for you and for the stranger who resides with you. This pertains to the Gentiles who fully dwell with the people of Israel and live as them, participating in all aspects of Torah life along with them. In Yeshua, this is not required. Wherever you are around the world, whether you are in proximity to Jews, proximity to synagogues, proximity to Jerusalem, wherever you are or not, through your faith, you are spiritually part of Israel. You can live in Antarctica, and if you accept Jesus, God sees you as part of Israel. When God sees Israel, he sees you. There is a theology in Christianity called replacement theology or supersessionism which states that the church is not part of Israel, but the new Israel. 
In this view, Christians are seen as true heirs of the promises made to Abraham and the spiritual replacements of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are seen as having forfeited their special relationship with God by rejecting Jesus as the Messiah and are no longer considered to be God's chosen. Mishkan David rejects this theology in the strongest terms. Ephesians 3.6 says the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Fellow heirs and fellow members with who? In Christ, Christians become one family with the Jewish people. And by the way, this too was prophesied. You Gentile Christians are a fulfillment of many ancient prophecies. Zechariah 2.11 says, Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. That's you. Isaiah 56.8 says, The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, I will yet gather others to them, to those already gathered. That's you. These promises are fulfilled when a Gentile believes in Yeshua. Gentiles are not God's plan B. It's always been his plan A to not just be the God of Israel, but to be the God of all nations, the God of the whole world. Romans 3, 28 to 30 says, we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the Torah. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who justifies, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. So what does it mean to be spiritually part of Israel? Remember Ephesians 2, it says, remember you were at separate from the Messiah, excluded from the people of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. This means that you, that the richness, this means that the richness, the full richness of the culture of Israel, Israel's heritage, Israel's lifestyle, Israel's instructions, way of life are all yours to partake of and to be blessed by and to enjoy. And I like to say it this way, this is an invitation, not an obligation. This invitation, not obligation, is expressed in Acts 15 as an output of the Jerusalem Council. Acts 15 is an amazing chapter. It speaks of the tension between Torah-observant Jewish believers who expected Gentiles to be circumcised and convert to Judaism and the apostles who stated that this was not necessary of the Gentiles. The end result of the council was that converted Gentiles should not be forced to keep all of the laws of God. Acts 15, 19 uh, from James says, Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. This means that it's not an obligation. But here's the invitation. He goes on in verse 21, For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him. Since he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath, this is the invitation. Why was it pertinent that Moses is read in Jewish synagogues when speaking about Gentiles? If I could summarize this ruling from the apostles, this is my summation. No, 
Gentiles don't need to be forced into keeping all the laws of Moses. Like us Jews, they are justified by their faith. But as they begin to attend synagogue on the Sabbath, by just hearing Moses who's preached in all their cities, they will be exposed to it. They will be exposed to Jewish life. And the conclusion ends there. That's all it says. There's no conclusion about how far Gentiles are going to go or how, what, or, sh- or how far they should go or would go. But the exposure to Jewish Torah-based life is there. There's the invitation, not the obligation. This is Messianic Judaism in a nutshell. And why I believe Messianic Judaism is both a biblical and beautiful expression of our faith in Yeshua. This dynamic of Jew and Gentile worshiping together in a Jewish context, it's incredibly beautiful. And always know at Mishkan David, there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Mishkan David is incomplete without both Jews and Gentiles. And we will never make a distinction between the two. That hostility and enmity and separation was nailed to the cross. And it's in our tenet of faith, which says we believe there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile in Messiah Yeshua. There is complete spiritual unity and equality among all believers, one new man in the Messiah Yeshua. So we do have a tenet about Messianic Judaism and what, we, what it is. And here's the tenet, the final one I will speak about today. We believe that Messianic Judaism is a prophetic end times movement of God. When all believers in Yeshua connect with the Jewish roots of their faith, a supernatural dynamic takes place, resulting in, as Paul calls it, life from the dead. The term Messianic Judaism is fairly new, but Jewish believers in Jesus obviously go back all the way to the beginning. People often say that Jews rejected Jesus, but that is a generalization. Acts 21.20 says, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. And they're all zealous for Torah. I look forward to the day when thousands of modern Orthodox Jews come to knowledge of Yeshua. Once Christianity evolved into its own world religion and expressly divorced itself from its Jewish root, the wall of partition that Yeshua tore down was built back up. Early church fathers moved away from any Jewish expression. They admonished Christians who kept the Saturday Sabbath. Early Christianity moved away from celebrating Jesus' resurrection in alignment with Passover and moved it to alignment with the spring equinox. Passover was originally the time to commemorate the resurrection. In fact, in the King James Version, do you know the Greek word behind the word Easter? with his translated as Easter? Pascha. Passover. It's, this is a no-duh. This move, these moves made it very difficult for the early Jewish believers in Jesus to maintain fellowship. <laughs> Thank you. Where there's two or more witnesses, that establishes the matter. No-duh. Yes, the majority of Jews did reject Jesus. But later on, Jews did not reject Jesus as much as they rejected what Christianity evolved into. Since this new religion divorced itself from its Jewish foundations and even threatened excommunication to those that continued alignment with Jewish ways. If you need quotes about all of this, I can give it to you from the church fathers. 
But there were always Jewish believers across time. Early church fathers, Origen, Justin Martyr, they spoke of Jewish believers and their dialogues with them. But Jewish believers in Jesus was very much in decline. Jewish believers were caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place, rejected by Judaism for their faith in Jesus, rejected by Christianity for their maintenance of Jewish life. They often needed to assimilate into one or the other. It was in the 19th century, very recent, in the 19th century when something called Hebrew Christianity began to emerge. And Jewish believers in Jesus began to identify that way as Hebrew Christians. Hebrew Christian congregations started to form. And Jews who converted to Christianity began to reaffirm their Jewish identity for the first time since the early centuries. And I have to tell you, this happened in parallel to the Zionist movement. That desire, that burgeoning desire of Jews to return to Israel and establish their own self-governing country. The Messianic Jewish movement evolved in parallel to the Jewish people's return to Israel. This means that the spiritual return of the Jewish people came at the same time as the physical return of the Jewish people. And this is not a coincidence. It reminds me of the dry bones prophecy in Ezekiel 37 when flesh came on the dry bones as well as the, as the breath. The flesh is the, is the natural, it's the land. The breath is the spirit. It was in 1967 when the Jews reclaimed Jerusalem as their own. And again, showing the connection between the physical and the spiritual, it was at that time when Messianic Judaism emerged. The Hebrew Christian Jewish believers in this time, in the 60s, had this epiphany, and they said, we didn't convert out of Judaism into another religion. We're Jewish, and we found the Jewish Messiah, the fulfillment of my religion. 2,000 years ago, Jewish believers in Jesus changed the world and then disappeared from the world stage. Now, at the end of the age, we are back. And another dynamic has taken place in this hour. Much of evangelical Christianity has become Israel's greatest friend. The fact that Christians pray for Israel, love Israel, financially support Israel, this has not been seen since the first century. And it's supernatural. The fact that we have groups like Christians United for Israel is supernatural. These are prophetic moves of God in the end time. Here's a little more information about why we call ourselves Messianic. And while you'll hear that more so than we will call ourselves Christian. Here's a little history. In the book of Acts, we see various names given to the disciples of Jesus. Acts 9, 1 to 2, it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. Clearly, the way, the way, was a sect of Judaism. Clearly. Otherwise, why would he need the high priest's permission to arrest them? Acts 24, now going back to the end of Acts. Acts 24, we have found this man a public menace 
and one who stirs up dissensions amongst all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Sect of the Nazarenes. Again, it is mentioned as a Jewish sect, not a separate religion. And the third name Acts gives to the disciples, the disciples in Acts 11.26, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. All of these terms denoted not a separate religion, but a sect within Judaism. Now, the word Christians, Christianas, comes from Christos. And where do we first see the word Christos? It's not in the New Testament. We see it in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which predates Yeshua. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed. So if the Christians were called followers of Christ in Greek, for Hebrew speakers, they would have been called the followers of the Mashiach, which in Hebrew would be Mishachi, or as we call it, Messianic. So the term messianic, although synonymous with the basic definition of a Christian, meaning that we're a follower of Christ, is more Hebraic. And by using terms messianic and Jewish, we are affirming that our faith was and is Jewish. It is hard for a modern-day Christian to understand why messianic Jews often prefer that term to Christian and why we don't just graft into Christian culture. Why don't we just celebrate Christmas like everybody else? Hang a cross like everybody else? Please know that with great respect, we are simply trying to recapture what was taken from us. And sometimes by force. Finally, Messianic Judaism is prophetic. The return of the Jewish people to faith in Jesus is prophesied. If, the two, if, I was, if my summation is correct and the two witnesses of Revelation are Jewish believers and Gentile believers together, that means there must be a return of the Jewish believer prior to the end. And not only is the Jewish return prophesied, it will bring revival. Christians pray often for revival. In our land, we sang a song about it today. But here's what end times revival looks like according to the Apostle Paul. Romans eleven fifteen. For their, if their rejection proves to be reconciliation for the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Life from the dead is revival. I pray, remember this is for Sunday, I pray as you embrace Messianic Judaism and worship alongside Jewish people in a Jewish expression at Mishkan David, May you experience the manifestation that Paul speaks of, a revival in your walk of faith. Next week, we will delve into more of the theological positions of the Mishkan David tenets of faith, including the nature of God and the word of God.